Well, today we're going to finish up on this marriage sub-series uh, that I've been preaching about. How many of you know that in marriage, it's either man and wife or stress and strife? Amen? But here's the ticket. It's man and wife or stress and strife, but you choose. You choose which one your marriage is going to be like. Today, I want to continue sharing biblical secrets to success in living this lovely illustration of Christ's relationship with his church. That's what marriage is, is an illustration of how Christ Jesus relates to us as his people. He is the bridegroom, and we, the church, are his people, and we are the bride. So that being said, I don't have to tell you that sadly, marriage has become the brunt of humor to a lot of comedians. For example, while attending a wedding for the very first time, one little girl said to her mother, Mama, why is the bride dressed in white? And the mother said to her daughter, well, because white is the color of happiness. And today is the happiest day of her life. And that little girl thought for a second. And then she said, mama, well, why is the man dressed in black? Mm -hmm. Men, can I offer you some cheap advice this morning? Your wife is always right. Whether she's correct is irrelevant. Your wife is always right, and the sooner you get that, the better off you'll be. But seriously, despite all these attacks on marriage, most young people still hope to get married and ultimately to stay married. But we found last week that a happy, successful marriage often takes a lot of adjustment and a lot of effort. And here's the reason why. Have you ever heard these book titles on marriage? Women are from Venus and men are from Mars. Ever heard that book? Have you ever heard the book title, Women are like waffles and men are like spaghetti? Actual book titles on marriage. And here's the reason why. Men and women are different. Duh, right? But that is the point. But that difference is okay as long as we learn and strive to understand one another. Look at what those book titles tell us. Husbands and wives are different. But that's okay. Those in a happy marriage will continually strive to bring two separate wills and combine them into one strong will for the glory of God. Combining two individuals into one flesh. That's God's design for marriage. Now, it's a simple idea, but boy, it sure ain't easy, is it? And the reason is, is that sometimes that one flesh, some of it tries to go a different direction instead of going the same direction together. Now, it said that everyone seeks two things in life. Security and significance. Every 
everyone wants to feel safe in their relationship. Everyone wants to know that they are important. But when it comes to which one is most important, men and women often lean in different directions. Generally speaking, women value security over significance. While men value significance over security. And today, the Apostle Peter gives us some clarification on that. As he has much to say about how husbands and wives should conduct themselves in marriage. In the Bibles in front of you, on page 1077. I don't want you to take my word for this. I want you to see it in the Word of God. On page 1077, in the Bibles in front of you... In 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to discover what Peter, what God has to say about marriage. Now, I'm going to back up, actually, to chapter 2 and verse 21, because we need to understand the context in which Peter is talking. All right? So, verse 21 of chapter 2, 1 Peter. Here we go. For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who bore himself, bore our sins having on, on his own body on a tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, chapter 3, verse 1. Wives likewise. Just as Christ submitted to the Father, so too wives Ought to submit to the Father. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word. They without a word may be one. Praise God. They may be one to Jesus Christ. By the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct. Accompanied by fear. That is the fear of God. Let not your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair. Wearing gold. Or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner... In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, as Sarah submitted to Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, friends, not always, but most times, Heeding the advice that Peter just shared with us will always make for a better marriage. Not all the time, but most of the time. But most importantly today, what I want you to get is not that Brother Bill said it. Not that Bethel Baptist Church said it. 
Not even that you, you heard it with your own ears, but that you heard God say it. This is the Holy Spirit of God speaking through Peter to tell us about how men and women, husbands and wives, ought to conduct themselves. God is the author and the creator of marriage. That being said, Peter says, okay, wives, develop a gentle attitude in marriage. Peter begins by sharing truths to wives about developing a gentle attitude. And he tells us that this internal, submissive, cooperative spirit impresses a lost husband. Did you hear it there in verses 1 and 2? Wives likewise being submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by the fear of God. But you know as well as I do that the temptation for many women is to focus on the outward beauty. Look at what verse 3 said. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. The arranging of hair, wearing of gold, and the putting on of fine apparel. You see, as a woman ages... Her outward appearance, her outward beauty may fade some. She may feel like that she's not the center of attention anymore. But if she's developing that inner person, if she's strengthening that internal quality of a gentle and quiet spirit that is so precious to God, then guess what, y'all? Her beauty will never fade. If she's developing and strengthening that inner beauty, friends, she is more beautiful than she's ever been. Because it's inside that counts, not the outside. On the other hand, if she's kind of shallow, if she's kind of filled with self-importance, then she may be gorgeous on the outside, but she can be downright ugly on the inside. I mean, have you ever known of a woman who was really pretty when they were younger. Man, the guys went absolutely nuts over her. But then as she began to get a little older, and, and her beauty began to fade a bit, um, she kind of started making a fool out of herself by trying to act and dress like a teenager. All so that she can get attention. Y'all ever seen a person like that? Don't be shouting out no names, amen. Because I know you have seen them just like I have. But listen, here's the point. Instead of seeking attention for the outer efforts, godly Christian women focus primarily on the inward beauty. Notice what Peter said in verse 4. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. My goodness. You know, a lot of people say that women who seek that kind of attention are really kind of shallow. Seeking that inner beauty is a challenge. But that's exactly what God calls us to do. He says in, in Proverbs 31.30 that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But listen. The woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. 
Let us be praising women who have that healthy fear of the Lord. Instead of a headstrong wife who demands that her husband do this and her husband do that and her husband change this and her husband change that. Let her accept the alternative that God gives. Here's what God says. Why not adopt a lifestyle of faith? Of gentle submission. Of quiet cooperation in the course of your marriage. Now, he gives us an example of this kind of living in the life of Sarah. Because a lot of people, a lot of women especially, see this kind of submissive, quiet, cooperative living as being kind of passive. They think, well, that's going to make me seem kind of weak. But that's not the case. God says, no. I give you the example of Sarah. Sarah was anything but weak. Check it out in verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, many women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. You see... Y'all need to understand that Sarah was no wimp. Sarah was no wimp. She shared her opinions with Abraham. Women that are being walked on are not following the example of Sarah. Because generally speaking, yeah, Sarah went along with Abraham. In fact, I believe that Sarah let him be the leader of the family. She let him make most of the major decisions. And that now she, she probably rolled her eyes at a lot of the decisions he made. But hey, that's okay, right? Because we don't do that, right? Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's what I thought. We all do that. But here's my point. Be assured that when she needed to, Sarah spoke up. When she needed to, she told Abraham just exactly what she thought. Now, we tend to focus on what Sarah did when she failed. You, know, you remember when, when she laughed when God told her that she was going to have a child at 99 years old. We remember how she failed when she tried to encourage Abraham. She did encourage Abraham to have a child through Hagar. But here's the point. We need to remember. Man, they had been married 50 years. And they had been waiting for 50 years for God's promise to be fulfilled. And that took a lot of faith. That took a lot of patience. But Peter says... That Sarah honored Abraham. And she honored him as the head of their household. And he says that if you'll follow in her steps doing the right things, then you'll never need to worry or never need to fear the decisions that your husband may make. So ladies, I want to encourage you to do something today. Encourage your husbands. Encourage your husbands to take up their godly role. Encourage your husbands to take up their role as the spiritual leader in the home. Encourage your husband to make the hard decisions. And then when they make them, respond gently. Even when they make bad decisions. But I want to finish this section up by telling you what Peter means but also what Peter doesn't mean there in verses 1 through 6. First of all, God's word is not saying that Christian women shouldn't wear jewelry. The word is not saying that they shouldn't have pretty hair, that they shouldn't wear gold, or that they shouldn't dress nicely. Because they should. 
The Bible's not saying that a wife, a submissive wife, should take abuse or be a doormat. The Bible ain't saying that. Here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying that a submissive, gentle, quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. It's beautiful in God's eyes. So wives, I want to encourage you, develop a gentle attitude in marriage. And now we get to the hubbies. Amen? Husbands need to develop a gentle behavior in marriage. Check out verse 7. Husbands likewise, there that word is again, just as Christ submitted to the Father, and just as the women were called to submit to Christ and submit to their husbands, husbands likewise submit to their, their Father in heaven and to their wife, but dwell with them with understanding, listen to this, giving honor to the wife. What does that mean? That means making the wife first place. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, from 1991 to 1999, ABC ran a sitcom that I loved. It was called Home Improvement and it starred a comedian named Tim Allen. Now, in that sitcom, know-it-all Tim would often uh, get on that tool time show and they would always start it the same way. Anybody know what time it is? Tool time. Oh, it was one of my favorites. Well, this accident prone Tim Taylor never read instructions and he was always looking for ways to make his power tools more effective. Well, one time he said with a macho grunt, oh, 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 more power, more power. Man, I love that show. Amen. Can you tell? Here's my point, though, y'all. Listen. By definition, most men are not gentle. By nature, most men are not gentle. And I think that men should feel free to be a little more gruff, a little more masculine, right? But when it comes to our wives, when it comes to our wives, God calls men to behave gently. You may say, well, I'm just not a gentle kind of person. You may say, well, man, my wife understands me. She knows I'm not gentle. You may say, well, I'm just not I'm really a tender kind, tender-hearted kind of person. My wife understands me. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Guys, that's bull hockey. That ain't nothing but a cop-out. Let me tell you why. Men can behave gently when they choose to. I say amen. They can when they choose to. How do you know, Bill? Well, you ever noticed how gentle he is when he's dating? Oh, man. He opens the car doors for her. Lord, he holds hands. He listens to all her problems. Oh, he's willing to talk about all the day's events. Oh, he pays attention to everything. Why? Because he chooses to. Have you ever noticed that many women have the gift of gab? <laughs> Bree was the only one that laughed at that one. Amen. Listen, in the first four hours of an online poll, 
nearly 5,000 people responded 94% to 6% that women talked more than men. And research supports that. The research says that on average, the women talk about 20,000 words a day. Where men only talk about 7,000 words a day. But here's my question about all this. If a man can be gentle and communicate when he's dating, why can't he be gentle and communicate when he's married? Because that's what he chooses to do. I said earlier that women crave security and that in general, men crave significance. So the question begs to be asked, how does the husband receive the significance that he craves? Let me tell you how, man. If you're listening, men, say amen. Here's how you get that significance that you crave. First of all, intentionally put your wife on the pedestal that she deserves. Ladies, say amen. Secondly, deliberately elevate your bride above yourself. Women, amen. Strive to understand your wife's feelings. Honor your wife, realizing that you are both co-heirs together in one flesh. You see, friends? When men honor their wives this way, they will in turn become the single most significant person in their wife's life. And that's how they can get the significance that they crave. Put their wife upon the pedestal she deserves. Elevate your wife above yourself. You treat her like that, and you got her hook, line, and sinker, man. Honor your wife. See, most men just don't understand how harshness can destroy a marriage. And sometimes we men are just kind of unaware of how we come across. You see, speaking as a godly man is not only about what you say, it's also about how you say it. And God's word teaches us that we need to tell the truth in love. God's word teaches us that we need to let our speech be seasoned with salt. God's word teaches us that no corrupt speech should proceed out of our mouth. And how much is all that true? Then when we husbands are speaking to our wives. And with women and children especially, men need to do three things. Men need to watch the tone of their voice. Men have got to monitor the volume of their voice. Now that's, that's really something from a loudmouth preacher, amen. But they got to monitor the volume of their voice. But thirdly, you also have to choose your words carefully. Think before you speak. And always, friends, somebody say always. Always be about building up your wife and never, ever. Tearing her down. Always building her up. Mama said if you ain't got nothing nice to say. 
don't say it at all. I read that men are to treat their wives like a delicate piece of china. And in verse 7, the woman is called the weaker vessel there. Not because she's morally weak. Not because she's spiritually weak. Not because she's intellectually weak. Only because she is typically has less physical strength. That's the only reason that that word is there. So regardless of any perceived weakness, the godly husband is to show his wife respect. To show his wife honor in all things. And never, never ever treat her less than what she really is. She is the crown of the marriage. And she deserves to be treated as such. Husbands and wives are co-heirs in this age. And I believe they're going to be co-heirs in the heavenly age. Are we going to be married in heaven? The Bible says we're not. But that, that co-heir mentality is definitely going into the heavenly age with us. Galatians 3.28, the Bible tells us, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, because we're all one in Christ Jesus. Now men also need to remember that selfishness and egotism in the marriage breaks our relationship with God. There in verse 7, Peter said that your prayers may not be hindered so this requires us to live with our, our wives in an understanding way. You see, our wives need our reassurances every day. Husbands, listen up to me. Your wife needs to hear, I love you, every day. Your wife needs to hear, you're so fine, every day. It's up to you to tell her. I want to encourage you to do that. Wives need us to listen. Without offering advice, without offering a solution every time. They just need us to listen. I hear you over there. So men, if you want to be close to your wife, if you want a happy marriage, do this. Offer your leadership, but don't enforce it. Offer leadership in the family, but don't enforce it. You see, godly husbands, the way that a godly husband treats his wife, listen to me, is a spiritual matter. Listen carefully, man. If you are mistreating your wife, you are breaking your fellowship with God. Men, if you are mistreating your wife, you are rendering your prayers powerless. Men, if you are mistreating your wives, you might as well be praying to that wall right there. Because as far as they're going. People think that if a, a marriage takes work, well, it must be a bad marriage. But I submit to you, friend, that the truth is this. A marriage that takes work is just a normal marriage. Every marriage takes a little effort, takes a little bit of work. And we have to be willing to put forth that effort. See, what makes it a bad or a good marriage is how hard each spouse is willing to work. How much effort they're willing to put forward to strengthen that marriage. 
So, friend, if you want a happy marriage, if you want to summarize this whole message, if you want a happy marriage, get real and look at yourself first. When you get everything perfected here, then you can take a look at your wife and try to perfect what you see there. You got to get real. Wives, focus on developing that gentle, quiet spirit that is so attractive to God. Men, work on that gentle behavior that will draw your wife in like a largemouth bass. Amen. <laughs> Amen, brother. Is that how you got Jim? I hear you, baby. Preach, baby, preach. So maybe it's time to get serious, y'all. If we want happy marriages, maybe it's time to make a choice. Maybe it's time to get serious and realize that God wants you to have a happy marriage. But it is clearly our choice. We choose if we want a happy marriage or not. We choose if we want a successful marriage or not. Will we model our marriages after God's plan? Or will we model God, our marriages after our own plan? I can tell you which one is going to fail. See, when God sent his son Jesus Christ as the solution to our inherent sin problem, he essentially said this. God said, if you choose, if you choose to believe in my son and what he accomplished on the cross on your behalf, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. But it is your choice if you choose. God says you can choose heaven or you can choose hell. You can choose an eternity with me or you can choose an eternity without me. You choose. I'm not going to force you to love me. And I'm not going to force you to believe in my son. But please know that I just want you to be saved from the awful judgment of sin. Friend, have you received God's gift to be saved from sin? You can today. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the incredible blessing that you have provided us through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray if there's one here who by not making a decision is choosing hell, by not making a decision is choosing an eternity without you, Father, I pray they would just come and receive your love, receive the incredible gift you offer to be saved from the penalty of sin. They don't have to wait any longer. They can be assured of it from this point for the remainder of this life and into eternity. Father, I thank you, Lord, for offering us that alternative, that option to be saved or not. You bless now, Lord, and cause each one of us to make a decision based on your word about what you would have us to do with the rest of our lives. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for first loving us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. In his name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.
Their voice like the 